Let's turn this morning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. It feels a little odd not asking you to turn to John. But Matthew's pretty good too. We'll read Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me, In heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we do thank you for your word, for the power that it contains and the authority it has over our lives. Lord, may we be obedient to do that which you have called us to do, that we may be faithful servants that bring glory to your name. So now... I ask that your spirit would be at work in this place this morning, in me, through me, in the hearts of those who hear, that we may all be changed by the power of your word. And should there be one who doesn't know you, may they be saved today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm not much uh, one to put my faith in statistics. Uh, But if you've noticed in your bulletins, there's a big, brightly colored uh, couple of pages uh, of statistics. And I had asked Donette to uh, include those in the bulletin this week just because I was surprised by them and I thought you might be as well. And it sort of gives me a little more encouragement to do what I'm planning to do today and for the next few Sundays. This... uh, poll, this, uh, these questions were asked, you'll notice, to churchgoers. This is not a poll or, or questions that was asked to just anyone out on the streets, no matter what they believed, but these were people who claimed to be born-again Christians who attend church. Those are the kind of people we want, right? <laughs> these are the, this is you guys, uh, plus some. And when they were asked... Have you heard of the Great Commission? 51% said no. That in itself is surprising. Another 25% said, yes, I've heard of the Great Commission, but I'm not exactly sure what it means. I don't really remember. 
you've always got the oddball 6% who just click, I'm not sure. You know, you're not sure of what? <laughs> you don't understand the question? Have you heard of it or not? And only 17% said, yes, I have heard of the Great Commission, and I can tell you what it means. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands this morning and take a poll here on who knows about the Great Commission. Because before you leave, I promise you will hear, you will have heard, and you should know. Now, on the next chart that you see there, they listed several passages, some probably chosen at random, and asked these churchgoers, again, churchgoers, to identify which passage is the Great Commission. And only 37%, a little over a third of churchgoers, could point to Matthew chapter 28 as that passage, the Great Commission. So when it comes to this Great Commission, and the word Great Commission isn't in your Bible, except for the little heading above the passage that was added by the Bible publishers. It has historically been the name that we've given to this last of commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples. We've given this name, Great Commission, to the passage because it is the one job. The one job that Jesus commanded his disciples to do before he ascended back to heaven. Folks, you have one job. And only about 17% of churchgoers even know what it is. I think we need a refresher course. Now this great commission, which we've read this morning, was not given just for the disciples who were gathered on the mountain. There were more than 11. Um, it says that the 11 were there. But there were many others who were there. Some weren't fully convinced yet that it really was Jesus who had risen from the dead. And I believe that this is the, uh, the situation that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 15, where more than 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. So you have all these disciples, people who have followed the ministry of Jesus for all these years. They have believed in Him. Now He is raised from the dead. And He gives this commandment, but it's not just for them. The nature of this commandment is perpetual. It is continuous. It is ongoing. That is still binding on the church today. And I'll just be very specific. This great commission is binding on Simmons Grove Baptist Church of Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. It is binding on each and every one of you who hear me today. We must take ownership of this commission because the Great Commission is our mission. It is our job. Now we can use that term, Great Commission, and, and ask what, what is our main job. If we step back from this and surveyed other Christians um, who haven't sat through this service today, and said, what do you believe to be the most important job of the church? What kind of answers would we get? What are the things we put most of our attention on, most of our focus into? Some may say, well, the most important thing for the church to do is worship. 
That's what we gear everything towards, right? We want to get people to come to our worship service. All of the effort that we put into our week leads up to this time on Sunday that we gather to worship. And worship is imperative. It is important. We are commanded to do it. And the work of the Great Commission flows out of our worship. But worship is not the Great Commission. Some might say prayer. Well, prayer is the most important thing. Prayer is is how God does His work in the world. And certainly we are commanded to pray. The work of the Great Commission cannot happen apart from prayer because it is when we pray that we express our dependence on God. We express our inability to do what He's called us to do. Prayer is is, is our go-to when we have a need. We have people in our church, it seems like when it rains, it pours. We've got so many right now who have needs, physical, with their health. And what is our main resource, our our go-to tool? It's prayer, and rightly so. And the Great Commission cannot be accomplished without prayer, but prayer itself is not the Great Commission. What about service? Serving our community, doing good deeds. Yes, those things are involved in carrying out the Great Commission. God has called us to love our neighbor, to meet the needs of the widow and the orphan. But acts of service are not the Great Commission. We'll elaborate on this as we go, but the short answer, what is the Great Commission, is simply found in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and, say it with me, make disciples. Your one job, our one job as the church, is to be about the business of making disciples. Disciples of all nations. Can't forget that. A disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple, the word simply means it's a learner, a student. The, the term disciple wasn't just applied to followers of Jesus. It was, it was used generally in that day to anyone who submitted themselves to the teaching of a rabbi. So in its simplest form, to say that someone is a disciple, it is to say they are a learner, a student of Jesus. But Jesus called these disciples not just to learn from Him, but what did He call them to do? To follow Him. When they were fishing at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and He came to them and He performed that, that great miracle of the great catch of fish to the point that their nets broke and their ships sank. The one command that he gave, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This group, this group of people who's gathered with Jesus on the side of this mountain, especially those 11, had known what it was to be a disciple of Jesus. They loved him. They followed him. They learned from him. 
They imitated his ministry. And all of those things were wrapped up in that that term, that package of being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is someone who loves the Lord, who follows Him, who is obedient to His Word, who learns from Him, and who imitates His ministry. We are all called as believers of Jesus to be disciples. You can't separate becoming a Christian from becoming a disciple. The call to faith, the call to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is synonymous with the call to become His disciple. To follow Him, to love Him, to obey Him, and to imitate Him. We have all been called to be disciples. These people knew what it was to be a disciple. And now Jesus says, go and make disciples. And he's calling them to go and reproduce in others what Jesus had done in them. He spent three years with these 11 men. He poured everything into these men. He knew he was leaving. He knew he was leaving the ministry into the hands of someone. And he chose these men, poured himself into them, and now he says, what I have done to you, you go and do to others. In fact, do it to all the nations. Remember at the end of John's gospel, when he appeared to them in the upper room, he said, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to die for sinners, to spend three years teaching these men. And now he tells them, just as I was sent to make disciples of you, I'm sending you to make disciples of the nations. That's our job. As we grow, as we mature as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, and we ought to be growing and maturing, right? If you're not growing and maturing, something is wrong with your spiritual health. And you need to stop and do your own checkup. But as we grow, as disciples, as followers of our Lord Jesus, we go out into our neighborhoods, our communities, across our state and nation, and even to the ends of the earth, and reproduce that life of growth and maturity that the Lord has been working in us. That is what it is to make disciples. It is to reproduce in others the work that the Lord has done in you. This is the ministry that all other ministries and activities should lead to. It's the filter through which we run our ideas of what we're going to do as a church. We have so many ways that we reach out into our community. We have so many uh, ways that we try to serve people. So many ministries that we carry on in this building. But with every ministry that we have, we have to step back and say, is this ministry helping us meet that goal of making disciples? And I'll just be frank, if it's not, we don't need to have that ministry. Think about as we come here to worship on Sunday mornings. We've been commanded to gather, to assemble as believers to worship. How is our Sunday worship helping us meet that goal of making disciples? 
I'll just go ahead and tell you some of the ways. When we sing songs that come from Scripture, we're teaching ourselves how to think about God. When you hear others come to the front and pray, you are learning how to pray. When you hear the Word of God opened and preached and proclaimed, you are learning, one, how to approach the Word of God, but also how to live these things that God has called us to. So yes, our Sunday worship, if it ceases to help us meet that goal of making disciples, we need to change how we're doing our Sunday worship. And if we're doing it the way God's called us to, we'll be making disciples. What about Sunday school? Sunday school is so important. I, I got to go this morning. I don't always get to go to Sunday school, but it is such a joy to sit down and listen to these men, and, and I'm sure you ladies as well. I've never been to the ladies' class, but I've heard it's good. Uh, it, it's such a joy to sit under these people who are students of God's Word and turn around and pour that into other people. Some of you have uh, gotten started now with discipleship groups. And you'll be seeing more of that, I hope, in weeks and months to come. But they're meeting uh, once a week. They're all on the same reading plan. They're reading the Bible throughout the week on their own. They're writing down ways that the Lord is speaking to them through it. And then they gather together once a week, hold each other accountable, and talk about it. That's a way to grow and mature as a disciple and to reach others as well. Vacation Bible School, right? If Vacation Bible School ever stops helping us make disciples, we need to either change it or get rid of it. We reach out into our community. We're not just trying to teach people who are already here, but we bring other in, others in. Kids from all over the place come into one place and hear the Word of God. Some of them may hear the Gospel for the very first time. And we use that as a tool to make disciples. It's not an end in itself. Next Sunday is October the 31st, and we're going to line all of our cars up out here in the parking lot, full of candy. David and I went to Sam's yesterday, and we filled our cart up. We've got all kinds of chocolate and sweet junk that these kids don't need. But why are we going to do it? Why? Because we want to use it as an opportunity to make disciples. If all people do is come through and line up around our cars and we hand them candy and they leave and we don't see them again till next year on October 31st, we've, we've missed it. Change it or cancel it. So while we've got people coming through our parking lot, we're going to be having conversations. Some of, us need to, some of us need to not have a trunk open with candy. Some of us just need to stand around and talk to people. We're doing a couple of giveaways. We're going to get hey, we're going to bribe people for their email address, okay? I'm not ashamed. Because there are people who come and get candy who don't even think about church. And we need to reach those people. We need to use these things as a means to make disciples. And if we ever stop using these things to make disciples, they've lost their purpose. We fill up backpacks and send it to the schools. That's a great ministry. I love it. I love being able to help those kids. Now we need to start thinking of a way. How can we start making contact with some of these people and using it as a means to make disciples? And over the next few Sundays, we'll be walking through some key New Testament passages that will help us make sure that we're clear, crystal clear 
on what it is to make disciples, what it is to carry out this task, our task, our mission, which is the Great Commission. So today, just giving you an overview of of where we're going in this passage, we see that on the basis of His own authority, Jesus commissions His disciples to make disciples of all the nations. And He promises that He'll always be with them. Matthew 28, 16-20, Jesus gives us our motivation for obeying the Great Commission. He explains the components of this mission, and then He promises that He will help us as we obey Him. Notice this first. Jesus has the authority to give us this commandment. Jesus has authority to give us this great commission. He has authority because He died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the context of the passage, right? Back in verse 5, you remember the women had come to the tomb and it says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. Just as He said, Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and indeed He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. And then we pick up in verse 16. He says, The eleven disciples went away into, the, into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Jesus has authority to give us this great commission to command us to do this because He has died for sins and He rose from the dead. Considering all that Christ has done in saving you. How that He lived that sinless and perfect life in your behalf. Surrendered Himself to be crucified. And in His death, bearing the weight and the guilt and the shame for your sin and mine. Paying our sin debt before God. Making satisfaction. Justifying us by His own blood. He died. Gave His life in the most cruel way any human being could ever die. But He didn't stay dead. On the third day, just as He said... He rose from the dead. Now that's something that sets Christianity, biblical Christianity, apart from anything else in the world. The man we follow said, I'm going to die and rise on the third day. And he did it. He died and he rose on the third day just as he said. If he has that kind of authority... He can command me to do whatever He wants. Considering all that Christ has done for us in saving us, bringing us out of darkness into light, bringing us from spiritual death into His life, we know that He's working all things for our good. He has every right and He's trustworthy to give us any command He desires. The command to make make disciples is right there at the top of the list. From the one who died and came back for you. He has authority because he's God. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And we've talked about this before. Only God deserves worship. Whenever uh, Paul was uh, preaching and, and he healed a man, the people thought, well, he's, he must be a God. He and the man that was with him, they said, they must be Zeus and Hermes. 
And they tried to worship Paul. And he stopped them. He said, no, we are men just like you are. Worship God. And in the book of Revelation, whenever John saw the angel and the vision that he was given, he fell down and worshiped the angel. And the angel said, no, I am not, I'm not worthy of your worship. Give glory to God. But when Jesus is worshiped, he doesn't try to stop it because he's worthy, because he's God. Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. He is God, your Creator. Hebrews says that Jesus, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. Jesus is God in the flesh and He is worthy of our worship. And because of who He is, He has authority to give us this commandment to make disciples. He has authority because everyone and everything in heaven and on earth belongs to Him. He said in verse 19, or verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If you're a, a Bible underliner, underline the word all. All authority has been given to Him. That includes this church and the things that we do through it. He has authority over us. It includes not just this church as a whole, but it includes you as an individual. He has authority over you. You owe Him obedience. Are you submitted to His authority in every aspect of your life? Are we as a church submitted to His authority? When Peter made that great confession, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, that's right, Peter. You didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed it to you. He says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. This is not my church. This is not your church. This church is in the possession of the one who died to create it. This church belongs to the Lord. Now the question is, will we submit to his authority? Will we obey him? He gives us the components of the command. First, we see that Jesus has the authority to give the command, but then he gives us the components of the command. Now, verse 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's the commission. Now, I remember studying this passage when I was first learning Greek, we were learning how to recognize the parts of speech and what endings on the word made it a verb.
what made it, uh, you know, a noun and the different uh, ways a noun is used and also participles. And, and we were going through and identifying the verbs. That was just the first thing we did when we were translating a sentence. And we came to this and he says, identify all the verbs in these verses. You know how many there are? One. And I about fell out of my chair. Because usually when we hear these verses preached, all the emphasis is put on what word? Go. I mean, we name conferences after that. that. That's a theme for an evangelism seminar. Go. But there's one verb and three participles. One verb, make disciples. It's one word. Now, we, we do this a lot even in English language. We take something that's intended as a noun and we turn it into a verb. The, the common one that comes to my mind is Google, right? Once upon a time, someone in, invented you know, or established a company and called it Google. That's a noun. But then somewhere along the line, somebody stopped saying, hey, I'm going to search something on Google and just said, I'm going to Google it. And Google at that moment was transferred from just being a noun, the name of a company or a search engine, and it became a verb. Also, in seminary, one of the classes I took, I, I, I was really confused at one point because I was reading some notes that a professor had given, and apparently they were written a long time ago and he hadn't updated them in a while. And, and the instruction said to, to take this document or something and, and Xerox it. And what it? So you know what I did? I Googled it. Apparently, that means you go to the Xerox machine. <laughs> we call it a copier. <laughs> and you make a copy of the document. The word make disciples is kind of like that. It's, it's very similar to that noun, a disciple. We've talked about what a disciple is. And now Jesus takes that word in a verb form and says, Now go and disciple the nations. Make disciples of the nations. Take what you are and do it to somebody else. And then you have your three participles. And this is how we make disciples. By going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Go, it's obvious because if we're going to engage the world, we have to go out into the world. You are not going to fulfill the Great Commission doing all of your ministry in this building. Because there are a lot of people, an increasing majority of people, who will not come to this building. This is where relationships with your neighbors comes in. I'm guilty of this myself Sometimes the, the relationship with some of my neighbors, as far as it goes, is we're pulling out of our driveways at the same time and we do like this and then we drive our separate ways and that's as far as it goes. Some of you may not have a relationship that good with your neighbor. But if we're going to reach the world, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we're going to have to do more than just sit here at church on Sunday morning and pray, Lord, I pray that you'll bring them in. Because he's called people to do that work. 
Sometimes we need to take the few steps out of our way. It's inconvenient. Stretch the conversation out a little bit longer with our neighbors, co-workers, fellow students, family. It's not all going to happen right here. I'll steal one illustration that some of us heard yesterday at the uh, discipleship training we attended. Uh, you know, we used, uh, the, he used the Barney Fife illustration, right? How many bullets did Barney Fife have? One, and just one. And for the longest time, our go-to bullet has been, hey, would you come to church with me sometime? Got a great preacher. And then once you've invited them to church and they say, no, I don't think so. Okay, I tried. Did my best to reach the world, fulfill the Great Commission. I invited them to church and they said no. It's out of, it's out of my hands. God did not call us to invite people to church. He called us to go and be the church. The first component is to go. The second is to baptize. And some of us pump the brakes there immediately and say, wait, hold on, why are we baptizing already? We haven't talked about the gospel. I thought we were supposed to tell people about Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And, and, and in this context, baptism assumes that. A lot When you read your New Testament and you, you see people became Christians, and how long was it before they were baptized? About as long as it took to walk from here to water. It was an instant, immediate act of obedience. Now, there's nothing wrong with pumping the brakes and counseling somebody and making sure that they really understand uh, the gospel before we baptize them and give them some kind of false assurance. But in this context, to be identified with Jesus was to put your life on the line. You didn't really have to, have to wonder too much if people were serious. If somebody said, I want to follow Jesus, you knew they were serious because their family was going to disown them. They might lose their life. Baptism is that outward picture of what God does on the inside when he, he takes a sinner and we die to ourselves. We die to our own wills, our own desires, our own passions, and we're raised to newness of life in Jesus Christ. Our sins all washed away. We go out and we must proclaim that gospel. We must proclaim that message and then we must baptize people. I have to ask, we stop here and I'll say, have you believed that gospel? Have you died to yourself, died to your sins, been buried with Christ spiritually, and then raised to new life in Him? Have you been, in a short term, born again? If you haven't, you need to repent of your sins. Put your trust in Jesus. He will save you. And then you need to be baptized. You can be saved and not be baptized. But if you, proclaim, if you profess to be a Christian and you refuse to follow that first step of obedience and be baptized, we have reason to question you of whether you really follow Jesus. A person unwilling to get wet is a person who will be unwilling to do about anything else that Jesus calls them to do. And so I don't, I don't know all of your histories, but if you're a Christian, you, you profess to, to be a follower of Jesus, and you've never been baptized, you need to obey Him and be baptized. Give that outward public confession. 
How are you going to open your mouth and tell someone you follow Jesus if you won't get in the baptistry in a church? I mean, what safer place can there be to be baptized than in a church? I've got a friend who says, no, we don't need to be baptizing people in the church. We need to go down to home place in the middle of busy season and baptize people right there in front of all the public. And maybe he's right. I don't know. I kind of like this warm water up here, but that's just me. But there is an identification with Jesus in baptism. You're saying, yes, I am a Christian. I publicly profess it. I am following Jesus. No longer living for myself. And we must baptize those who believe. And then third, the third component of this great commission is teaching. We must teach. We have to instruct those who believe into maturity. You know, Charles talked about it in Sunday school this morning that, you know, we'll never be fully mature. We'll never be fully grown. We'll never really be like Jesus until the day we see him face to face. But there should be progression along the way. Growth, maturity. And how do people mature as Christians? By learning from mature Christians. How are you going to make disciples? How, because make, making disciples doesn't stop once someone's baptized. As someone has said, baptism is not the finish line. It is the starting line. When someone comes and they believe and we dunk them in the water and put them on the church roll, that's not the end. That's the beginning. That's when the work starts. And we need older Christians, people who have been Christian. And that doesn't mean you're an old person. You've just been a Christian longer than somebody else. And you can take what the Lord has taught you and teach it to somebody else. Into maturity and multiplication. Maturity, as older believers teach the younger. We see that in 2 Timothy and in Titus. He commands the older men to teach the younger men. He instructs the older women to teach the younger women. We need faithful older people who will help knuckleheads like me. We need to teach for the goal of maturity, but also for multiplication. This, I think, is where we have really dropped the ball in the Great Commission. We hear go and we say, yeah, go, we're going to do outreach. And we hear baptize and say, yeah, we got Baptists in our church name. We baptize people. And then we hear teach and we say, yeah, we got Sunday school. And that's good. We want to grow people into maturity, but we also need to grow them into multiplication. Because if Jesus says, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, you know what that includes? It's circular. You go back to verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. We don't want to just make disciples. We want to make disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples. Who make disciples. I'm running out of pulpit. Who make disciples. There is the growth into maturity. There's growth into multiplication. And we'll look more into these components in the coming weeks. But finally, let me point this out. Jesus promises to be with us as we obey. Verse 20, the second half, he says, And lo, behold, look at this. I am with you 
always, even to the end of the age. The work of making disciples, carrying out the Great Commission, can be, and it is, intimidating. Depending on who you're talking to and where you go, sometimes it's terrifying. But you cannot let intimidation and fear cripple you from being obedient. And you don't have to. Why? Because he says, I am with you always. Jesus has promised that we will never be left alone in this work. You've got that hard to reach family member. I get it. I've got them too. But we can't let intimidation and fear keep us from reaching out and trying to make a disciple out of them. To lead them to Jesus. Because when you go to talk to them and your heart's about to beat out of your chest, just remember, you have a helper. You have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ Himself within you. Who will give you exactly what you need to reach them. You got that crabby neighbor that just gives you dirty looks when you're blowing your leaves and one flies over into his grass. I hope you're not that crabby neighbor. When you've got him... You have an opportunity to walk over there and clean up your mess and strike up a conversation. Find out where he stands with the Lord. Fellow students, co-workers, the Lord has given us a plethora of opportunities. And if you don't know anybody who's not a Christian, come see me. I know plenty. And if you don't know anybody who's not a Christian, you need to broaden your, your circle a little bit. We have the Holy Spirit who will be with us, the helper, the comforter, the parakletos, as we saw in John 14 and 16. He works in us as we share the gospel and as we teach younger believers. But he doesn't just work in us as we do the work. He's working in that person you're trying to reach to. He's working on both sides. You have this unlimited resource in the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is there to help you. And there will never be a time when you'll be without him. He says, I am with you always. Really? Are you sure about that? And he says, yeah, even to the end of the age. Now that's not an excuse to say, you know what? Jesus is with me. I'm going to sit here till he comes. No, that means that you need to be busy doing the work of making disciples until Jesus comes. Because that's how long he's going to be with you. When's he coming? I don't know. Could it be tomorrow? Yep. But I'm going to work and I'm going to plan like he's not coming for another hundred years. Because I don't want to get lazy. The Great Commission is our mission. Christ has authority. He has saved us. He will always be with us. Now, will we obey him? Let's pray. Would you stand? God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would plant it deep within us. May it take root and grow and bear fruit in all of our lives. May we be faithful to make disciples of all the nations and do our part starting right here in our own homes and community.
and to work faithfully until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.